welcome to the podcast finally hello you have uh, <laughs> sat through the whole process of setting up a podcast yeah you've probably gotten the feel of what we go through all the time mm-hmm. but yet again thank you for honoring my invitation and coming to be conversations by ordinary people you're welcome you're welcome it's what, a very interesting thing yeah, yeah. what but, you have here like you know i've just it's the first time i'm seeing uh chairs made from from what is it called pallets pallets yes very very impressive so yeah we're also trying to just refurbish furniture and make sure how do they call it environment things like that yeah yeah and it's also a bit cheaper and yeah. supporting local people around here it's excellent very yeah. well done well done yeah so i'll let you introduce yourself to the mm-hmm. listeners mm. so you can really get out the whole picture because i i can't yeah my name is rita nkemba yeah. and i am the founder of an organization called dwelling places yeah. i am also a mother yeah. i have uh, i'm also a wife to one husband yeah. and my husband's called william kemba and i am i am a daughter i'm a sister mm. i'm a cousin a grandchild everything yeah, you can true. imagine you know yeah that's that's who i am yeah interesting i um so what brings about tell us about dwelling places and what's it about and yeah dwelling places is an organization that focuses on what is now uh, popularly known as street connected children long time ago the phrase street connected never used to exist what do you mean street connected see long time ago children were called street children yeah but as years have gone back i've been in this work for 26 years now and as the years have gone by and moved on um we realized that calling children street children okay in in the first phase yeah the street does not give ch- birth to children true, true, true but in the second place you know you'll find that children who are living on the streets are in different categories you find children who come on the streets to work yeah. you find children who are born on the streets and raised on the streets yeah. you find children who just run away from home because they did something wrong yeah. you'll have children who have been attracted to streets to the streets by peer pressure mm. and others who like basically just uh, idle kids you know so this kind of research brought us to say that the, that all those categories of children we have interacted with over yeah. the last 26 uh, years now over the last 26 years so <laughs> Sometimes you, you have street children who are orphans, mm. children who are orphans who are on the streets and they are orphans. So in order to engulf and encompass all categories of children, it's now globally acceptable that the phrase street children has now been replaced by street-connected children. Any child who is in the, on the streets for any reason and the child and can be exploited on the streets, yeah is basically um, termed as a street connected child yes so dwelling places um, most of what we do is connecting with the children who have lived on the streets and what we do with them is that 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 uh, 
aspect of connecting with these children is called rescue. Mm. And then when once we get onto the streets, we um, get we we get the child comfortable. We get to talk to the child, build the trust of the child. Sometimes it's as soon as like this, but sometimes it takes conversations, several visits, um, and then you basically introduce yourself and what you're doing. And if the child really wants to come off the streets, and when the child wants to come off, once we get to that place where the child wants to voluntarily come off the streets, although I will say that sometimes it's not voluntary. Mm -hmm. But if the child wants to come off the streets, then we take them into our rehabilitation home. And our rehabilitation home is, at, is transitional, mm -hmm. in a sense that um, we want to avoid making it an institution where children stay long term. Yeah. So we do um, our own maybe let me say that our own definition of rehabilitation you know when children are on the streets they don't they are void of routine you know they just wake up and walk beg or whatever but when a child is in the home and you are helping them to be rehabilitated since they've been on the streets they will come into the home and they learn the basics from being able to sleep in a bed on a bed in a bed own some things like you know this is my bed this is my blanket this is my mattress this is they sometimes we even give them small bags where they have their own uh property yeah. my toothbrush my 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 underwear my so that's the kind of a rehabilitation we are talking about when you come here learn how to live within a normal community setting and then in that same home we do have um uh an informal school setting. It's not a proper like P1, P2, P3 school, but every child is given an opportunity to be assessed. We're taking children from 14 years and below, boys or girls. Yeah. And um, the children are given an opportunity to have an assessment of their academic level. Most of them, you know, have either never been to school before or have been, but, you know, like the assessment will tell you where they're at. Now, the difference between a child who is 14 and has never been to school mm. and a child who is six and has never been to school is obvious because although this one may not be able to read and write, they will learn quicker because they are older. So we, in, in the home, we, have, it's, we call it a catch-up education program. Every child is given that individualized education plan, and it takes six months. It's not a very long time six months and in the process well that's what happens with the routine then sleeping wake up in the morning brush your teeth do whatever then go to class learn how to take care of your school uniform focus this is a teacher look at a blackboard mm. you know like all those things are what we call rehabilitation um we have not necessarily had children who have come in the home over the last years who have been on drugs and you know like not really um, and I don't know why, but the ones that we have had, we've not had that reason to have children in rehabilitation because they've been on drugs. No, that is why we say that our form of rehabilitation is more about helping this child to live within the mainstream community as a normal child. So in the process of the children being involved in that routine, we have social workers who are responsible for what we call reconciliation. Mm. So 
every child has an opportunity to speak to a social worker about their story. How did you get to the streets? Tell me properly. And to explain to them that their journey within dwelling places. Some of them think, well, now that I've come here, I'm staying. I'm not going back home. I will never go back home. I but the reconciliation process is meant for the social worker to help this child um, learn that the best place for the, her, him or her to be yeah. is home within the community setting where there is a family, where there are parents. So we help this child let us know. Now that you know that that is part of your journey, who would you like to be placed back with? Is it with your mom? Is it with your dad? Is it with your grandmother? Is it with your... Some of them are children who have no one. Yeah. For example, there are children who come when we have some kids who have, who've been placed with us when they are two years old, four years old, they don't remember how they got to where they, they've been. Mm -hmm. Some of those come, are referred to us by the police, so they don't remember. But still, our determination is that we will, we will take um, the responsibility to make announcements in the newspapers, on whichever way. And if in the most rare times over the last 26 years we have failed to find anyone who is connected to this child, what we do then is uh, we, we place the child into foster care. So we find anyone who, who's, who's ready, willing, and, and can. Now, when I first... Oh, yeah, let me just say that. Yeah. So we place the child into... The family. The family. Care. Yeah. And that is what we call resettlement. Okay. Now, the journey, once the child is resettled home, that's not the end of the story. Because remember, most of these children would have come from home in the first place. Mm. Now, there are things that we have no control over, like the things that happen in the home, the mm. quarrels that happen between adults. That, so those are things that we don't have any control over. We try to engage in what we call family empowerment. Usually, it's economic empowerment that will get the attention of of the caregiver to the the caregiver will have will uh, will get will i mean will give us their attention yeah. if we are involved if we get them involved in excuse me if we get them involved in um, economic empowerment mm. and so um with the with the then the the social workers will be able to do follow-ups um interim follow-ups to go and see how the child is doing at home. Usually when the child will be able to have any siblings that are there and they get the siblings involved in all these issues. And then, of course, the big one <clears throat> is the child is placed into school. School in the last 26 years has been one of our biggest uh, success, successes because once the child is placed in school, the child is encouraged to um, have uh, uh, their, to create their own social networks. Yeah. They get involved in sports. What they they create their own image. Now we we have tried as a as an organization not to stigmatize those children by taking by creating our own school. It's cheaper for us to create our own school and basically run it in that way. But because the organization is focused on children. We want to see that this child has an opportunity to grow as a normal human being within a safe and loving environment. Yep. So we place these children within the community and in school 
And the social workers then also follow up at school and see how is the child doing. We do reward systems where if the child is doing okay in school, we tell them how, how, you, how, how are things going. Sometimes the parents are very, uh, uh, I think it's called inferiority complex. Like, you know, saying I didn't go to school. If I go to visit my child, all those, all those other parents know English, they can mm, write. They, so so we, we, we get involved in encouraging the parents to go visit their children, but we don't just let it pass. We, we try to get the social workers to at least visit the children once a month, especially those who are in boarding school. Interesting. Now, yeah. um, I've personally, I emerge from the street <clears throat> life. Oh, really? I am... I'm, I'm, I have, I, of course, I come from a very well-stable family. Yeah. My father could pay my, afford my school fees and all that stuff, could afford my meals, has a home in Tinder. So, but as life kept on growing, I felt like the environment at our home was not the one I, I wanted to. Okay. So I have a background of about two years, which is too little, but two years of completely living on the street. Oh, tell me. So, so you... So you, I, I relate to this experience and... Part of the other things I do on, on a personal level is I have cliques of these boys and, and people on the street. Usually on one day streets, I'm very, very popular because they know that I always go back to them to show them that, you know what, this is just part of life. You, you get out of this and you become, become something. It's, it's no hesitant. Yeah. But how is it easy? Because all my interactions, the times I was sleeping on the street yeah. with all these boys, because the time I was sleeping on the street... Um, I, I won't say there's the pull of the drugs because, of course, um, it is just a phase. In my thinking, it's just a phase of a child growing up and they reach that phase and they, they, they get addicted to things like weed, they get to smoking, they're out in the night, they're sleeping in the bars. But one thing I know is they all have, the ones I've interacted with mostly, have issues with their homes. So yeah. they have left their homes some have left because of very petty reasons. Uh, mommy was telling me to wash utensils. The young ones, yeah, really, really. Yeah. Mommy was telling me to wash utensils I did not want, I didn't want. Now, how is it easy and how is it possible for you to get them in a mindset that they already detest? Hmm. Because usually when people leave home, it is because the environment at home is extremely toxic. Uh, yes. Yeah? Mm. The relatives are not relating. Uh, people have different agendas. You've probably failed exams and everyone is looking at you in a funny mm. way and you can't take the insults anymore. So it gets tricky. So when we go to the street, and, and now I'm speaking because I emerge from the street. Yes. Life. When we go to the street, we are looking for a peace of mind. We're, we're trying to recollect ourselves mm -hmm. independently. Now, when dwelling places, people like you come and want to put us in a setting that we already detest. Yeah. How do you make it possible? You know, that's a very interesting uh, uh, question because my experience is different from yours. Yeah. I was never on the streets. Mm. I did not know anything about street life. I did not know anything. Like, I, I mean, I did not know anything about street life. But when I studied, I studied social work mm. as a, you know, and I am a Christian yeah. and a, a practicing Christian. I think yeah. that's what I would say. But um, my mom tells me that uh, when I was younger and she was driving me on the, in, in the car one of those days, like when I was young, mm. she had me say, 
that I don't remember that, you know, but she had me say that when I grow up, I'm going to grow up, I'm, I'm going to come onto the streets and take many children, put them in a big car yeah. and tell, take them somewhere with sure. you know, where they will eat food that they've never eaten. I've got a feeling that the genuineness, because the way my mom brings it up right mm. now is like she feels like I'm living something you that dream. I dreamed yeah. I dreamed to do. So that being the background of what is deep seated yeah. within my true, heart, true. I have when I started doing the work of dwelling places, my passion was to make sure that every child gets that place to call home like yeah, my home. Yeah. And I think I, I lived in a stable family where, my, my, where it wasn't toxic. Mm. So that is not to say that the environment can't be toxic. But I feel like... And this well, has that been alone a, is not the issue. Yes. Personally, I, mm. I can't even call my, my family toxic. Yeah. It is very <laughs> liberal. They would, my father would let you take your choices with life. I, I went there because I think I went through a breakup, then my businesses had started collapsing at some point. I felt like I could not have life anymore. Mm -hmm. Then uh, seeing as I was dealing with the breakup, I didn't want to do any formal jobs. Yeah. So as left, of course, I could not afford rent. I could not do all those things. Yeah, the yeah. only option I had was the street. Then, of course, the street gives you all this comfort. Yes, you have yes. all this freedom. And um, speaking, because I don't want to relate my experience to the children yes, you have, okay. because mm -hmm, I, mm -hmm. I came to the street yeah. a bit mature. I oh. knew that it was easier for me to run away from it. Mm. I, I knew it was going to be just a phase. But then in my interactions with all those children there, uh, most of them even come from upcountry and what, yeah. um, and they're now living on the street, mm -hmm. they're phone, they've, they've also got the test of making their own money mm. and it feels like this is what they want. Yeah, I think our experience has been different and I yeah. think our experience has a lot to do with the age range of children yeah. that we yeah. work with. Yeah. Like every, every child at that level gets to that place where they need to be cuddled, loved, cared for. And if at all someone can give them a picture of what home can be like, you know, it's, attr it's, it's attractive for the children. So for us in our experience, mm. in the home, we have, we have children who, have, who came in and they did not, actually, they found it embarrassing to get a hug. But because that is the culture, yeah. hug me, love me, listen to me, it's okay to cry, and all these different things. Like they, they became soggy, you know, I think that's what I call it. Mm. So I usually explain that you see a child who's come and is closed completely. But as the weeks go by, they begin to unfold and unfold and unfold. And so what's the process of on... you meeting me on the street? Let's say I'm the yeah, child. Yeah. Me on the street mm -hmm. and really convincing me about this whole idea of yeah. a home. I probably already detest or yeah. probably had these aunties. Because yeah. I'm thinking when the interactions I've had for the young ones now, mm -hmm. the ones you're dealing yeah. with. Uh, my mommy, I, I always found these reasons, by the way, stupid. But yeah. because I didn't live such experiences, I could not just wash them mm -hmm. away. They just kept on telling me, no, me, I failed to, me, they used to tell me to do a lot of housework. But these are, these are settings of African homes. Yeah. This is what children do. Yeah. Sometimes it's harsh to some, but it's common everywhere. Yes. So how... What's the process like of you meeting me on the street and really giving me 
the, the sitting light. down I, I'm, I'm going to relate that from uh, from the children's perspective mm. because I may go with what I think will work for you, but then they're like, oh, yeah, I've been there and done that. True. But from the children's perspective, yeah. I remember incidences of children asking them, because there are some who have not come. Others have come off the streets to just have a, a simple like relief mm -hmm. from, from having to look for food or having to find a place to sleep or, it's raining and like yeah, I just need this. Yeah, because sometimes it really gets uh -huh. to you as well. It's, yeah. I just need a little shelter. And if I can get away, I'll come back if yeah. I want to. And in our home, actually, we tell them, look, you're, you're here for the first time we brought you. But you're allowed to run three times. And it's okay. You can go. But you know where the home is. You know. And we've had many children who have come so and gone. you're allowed to run three times? Three times. And bring yourself back. So after, if the I first run time. the mm. fourth time. I'm not allowed to come yeah, back. No, you, will, you, will not, you will not come back. I'll just be taking my And they know it. Yeah. They know it. So th somehow, in, in some kind of way, you'll find them in another organization. Because we have this... this well, I need to go back to your question. True, like true, From true, that true. perspective, yeah. of, um, or from a child's perspective, I've had some children who have told me that when we do outreach and we go out on the streets and speak to them, um, they, their friends who run away told them that we tell the truth. You know, like, and they tell us so many things, but they don't fulfill what they've said. But when we come to dwelling places, you find a place where you definitely have food. You'll definitely have a, a bed to sleep in. Definitely you'll have people. And it's not, it's not always been as smooth, you know, like there's no discipline. There's no, 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 it's there, you know. But... This child also was telling us, some of the children were telling us the reason why we were attracted is because the first ch children, that the first children I took off the streets, I, didn't, I don't remember doing that, but I think it was just the grace of God because the child told me that you came to me and asked me for my juice in a cavea. I had juice in cavea and I tested you. I said, do you want some of my juice? Yeah, have. And she told me that I actually drunk from the cavera. Okay, I don't remember that and mm. I don't necessarily think that that was How very wise yeah. because exactly. I can just imagine the sanitation that was in there. But that was her story. She said the moment that I did that, getting to their level, it melts them. Yeah. It melts them and they're like, ah, this person, I want, I want to talk more. And yeah. then other children that I met um, in the beginning of my work, is that they were sick, you know? Mm. Children on the streets who had malaria, who had... There are other girls who actually were in, uh, in their periods mm. and they did not... <laughs> this girl told me, I have sat in this spot for three days because when I get up, this blood just flows, you know? So I've got to sit here. I've got to sit here and just find mm. a way move to another place, sit here, because people would laugh at me. The children laugh at me. Then there are others who, who I met. Apparently, one of them had, uh, was trying, these two, these two children were trying to stitch each other yeah. using a, a normal needle. So the other one was, was giving um, this child um, fuel, this, this sniffing fuel. Mm, mm. No, some of them were holding the head over here with, with sniffing fuel. And, and had put a, a cloth in, in this part, in, in their 
teeth. Yeah. Telling them you sniff harder, sniff harder, and put you know you won't feel the pain. In the meantime, there was a surgeon <laughs> over here, <laughs> like over a child True. who was trying to stitch up a bad wound. You know, so when the kids saw me and they knew that oh, this is the lady who takes us to the clinic. Those days, there was the International Medical Center. It was by Ian Clark, yeah. Doctor Ian Clark, who now owns IHK. IHK. Yeah. It was at KPC, which is now called Watoto. Yeah. So, and, and those days, I was, uh, I used to be, I was singing in the Watoto choir, and, and I was, in my own way, I was a bit of a caseleb. Mm. So, so somehow, when you go, when, when I was going into that clinic to help, like, those people really were giving us free priority, medication, yeah, yeah. you know? Sure. There was a doctor in there, Dr. Serada uh, David, and he, he was my classmate, he was my schoolmate in mm. Budo. So, somehow... Like most of the people there knew me, if they didn't know me as a, as, a, a, as a singer in the church or a Christian in the church, they knew me as a schoolmate. Yeah. So they gave me free medication. So somehow that was the beginning of why children came off the streets. It became easy. Then one, those who would run away and come to the streets would tell them, you know, you, all you need, if, if one came up on the streets and was talking to each other, no, I really want, I need to get off the streets, one and no college, no one, they would tell each other, they would tell each other, so somehow, it became, the name became popular, mm. the name became popular, so Auntie Rita eventually became dwelling places, and dwelling places now, I no longer go on the streets personally, this is 26 years ago. True. I no longer go on the streets. Now we have social workers who have mastered the art of going there to build the bridges with the children. And once the children come into the home, they stay because when, once they see what we are giving, they, they, you know, they choose to stay. It's their choice. Yeah. But that says, that's, that's not to paint a picture to say, oh, it's always all good that when the kids come, they always come off the streets. No, no, no. There are some who actually in a group of 15, seven would come and the others say, I'm on a And they would so literally the other thing stay. I also know mm. about the mindset mm. is as a street child, I feel like the person that is trying to get me off the street is trying to exploit me. Yes, they, I cannot trash away the help they're giving yeah. me in that time because I need it. I need somewhere to sleep. I need yeah. all this. But then there's... The greater good for them, they're probably um, they're probably negotiating deals where they're getting a hundred million, mm. and on that hundred million, I'm only getting about five hundred thousand off it. Mm. How how is that dwelling? true? Yeah. By the way, I will say it straight up and say that's true. I am a social worker by profession, and that's a job, you know. Yeah. Be if you have a job, then you get paid for your job. You've studied social work. Now with social work. My job as a social worker is in the field of street-connected children, yeah? Mm. And so it is always more expensive to pay me than what it costs to take care of the child. Why? Because I will get that child, what, all that I've explained to you what the children need. They need food, yeah. they need clothing, Shelter. they need what, the basic needs of life. life. True. So one person in our, ex, in our, in our setting in dwelling places, uh, we have a child sponsorship program. And for every, for every $51, 10% is set aside, yeah. is meant to be set aside for 
what we call administration fees. Now, if you have, in, like in our case, we have, uh, I think, about 200 and something children who are sponsored. Mm. Not all of them are sponsored $51 yeah. because it depends on the category that everyone, each one of those ones is sponsored in education, but not all of them are sponsored um, uh, fully. Yeah. And if you take $51 right now and you take the child along the education line, you started with her in primary, taken them in secondary, the costs keep changing. changing true. But it's static that the child sponsorship program is $51. So as a social worker and a person who, is, who has a passion and a vision for this child to make sure that this child gets to where they need to go, mm. I've got to find the funds. So I write proposals, I do different things. My focus is on this. So I will never ever, and you should never ever be told that we do not raise the funds that are more than what we do with the children. Because it's costly. You will, you will be able to rent the house or the place where they stay. You'll be, it's always been a big argument. You know, mm. the kids will say, some of the kids will say, but your centers are fair. <laughs> but but your centers are fair. You were on the streets. You don't know. How, I don't, for me, I've developed a thick skin on that one. Yeah. Like I'm saying that I'll, my focus is going to make sure that I see to it that my vision for you to find a safe place to call home and, and a place where you can, you know, yeah. is that's my focus. How much it costs, what it takes for me to do that is, is probably or, or sometimes even none of your business. But my business is to make sure that I get you to where you need to go. That's my focus. It becomes my business if I am the product you're selling. Well, unfortunately, in like... In uh, because my, what you're doing yeah. is exactly what um, social networks are doing. Mm. Um, what Facebook does mm. is it trades my attention to the highest bidder, who yeah. is the advertiser. Yeah? So, um, well, uh, with Facebook, it doesn't even do it with my consent. But maybe you probably come to me and we negotiate and I allow to come to you. Yes. But in, in the end goal... Facebook now comes to manipulate me yeah. so that it keeps getting more money from yeah. the advertiser. It now um, understands what I'm doing. This is exactly how I feel, mm. even the charities work. And in yeah. most cases, uh, there's this saying that um, usually, because we've, we've seen cases of street children. Now, these yeah. are just street children who have bounced back on the streets. They're put back on the street like Kampala. Yeah, get, that's true. Then it, it's more like also it's a business that there it are is. street children mm -hmm. on, on the street. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it comes to the karma Yeah. It is called child exploitation now. Yeah. It's a business where it is true that children actually are taken from Karamoja. One woman will hire 20 children. Mm. The younger, the better. And then they'll post them in different parts of the streets. And each child is given a target to raise 5,000 shillings. That's why you see they stay on the people. If you don't raise the money, you don't, you don't eat. Now, that is child exploitation. Okay? All right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. the owners of the children in the village will mm. expect 20,000 shillings a month from the person who took the, the trafficker. Let me say the trafficker. Wow. So, it doesn't matter whether the child is sick or whatever. If they are sick, and they, for me, I want my 20,000 in the village. Yes. But this one here is making more, mm. you know? Yeah. But the vice is that this child is at risk of everything that you can imagine happens on the streets, including death, you know? So just because that's happening, 
you know now that, that's exploitation that yeah, is yeah, not yeah. who we are yeah, yeah. but just because it is uh, possible that i will look that you will get you will look at me as a, an exploiter mm. it does not stop me from doing my job because my job is i'm a social worker secondly i have a vision and a passion and on top of that i have a calling my calling is to make sure that we take children off the streets yeah. and i have success stories endless success stories of what's happened if you want it as a child you can have it but you also have that what choice. are some of these success stories what is success someone gets out and becomes minister well, for me, really, uh, yeah. from uh, uh, it's it's a high range. It's a it's a big range of yeah. success. Yeah. To me, success would be any childhood never has the option of the streets as a choice. That to me is success. And for me, ninety eight percent in the last twenty six years, one thousand six hundred children. And this is entirely on mindset. Dwelling places makes sure that I do not have to think about the going to the street. The streets as an option. Yeah, yeah, it's. So if you find up yourself at any one time that actually, you know, I'm, I'm in a street situation and you have been with a program and you've left, you have the option. We call it a safety net. Hmm. You have the option. If you've grown up and you've gone and you're like 25, but somehow life is, is still struggling. The door is not closed for you. We are there. Yeah. Maybe we will not take you in but will still be available to offer you advice, what, you know, that kind of thing. And it's not like 26 years is not that long. For a child who, for example, has come in and came in at 14, mm. you add 14 to 26, and the child came in and has never been to school, most likely that child will, will be in P2, P3. Like they'll still be crawling on in life until yeah. they would like say, ah, now I've grown up enough, I don't, I don't want it anymore, you know? So we have cases like that. But, for, but now when I talk about the other range of success stories, we have children who have gotten married, become, you know, they've been second generation street children who, whose parents were born on the streets, they had them on the streets, but they had this opportunity to come and be supported in dwelling places. Mm. Gone through school, graduated, gotten married, and now have become parents themselves. So they are creating a different cycle of children, even if their background is like that. So I personally, my, me, my husband and I, um, before we did the foster care setting, I had to have this thing of like, practice what you preach. Who, who will take a child in? Anyone who comes to you and thinks street children, they'll have that thing in there yeah the stigma is yeah. 100 but so in order for me to actually market this thing that I was talking about called fostering we I had to I had to take children in myself my husband and I had to take children in I gave some children to my mom I gave some children to my aunt and, but, so they become a part of you yep. so so we've raised children, like in my own, like, and especially if they were siblings, I was a bit emotionally attached to them. Mm. I didn't want to have them scattered and putting them in different places. So in my family, in my own house, in my own home, we ended up getting eight siblings into the home and two, like eight siblings, two siblings, then four, like at the end of the day, we had about 20, 21 children in our own household, you know, that we've wow. raised. That's yeah. 
and it's it's well. like the success is that success has been amazing you know like where we have seen we have had seven kwanjulas in the home we have like what 13 grandchildren in fact i told them that listen your stories are your stories do not extend those your stories unnecessarily to your children i mean to your children if they want and if you want we can be their grandparents if you want because now before you before you came to our home you didn't have a choice you know we brought you in and we raised you but now that you're older you actually have a choice to either take us as your own parents mm. or not and we will not be offended this is really really just a unique passion you have yes. as an individual yes. it is yeah yes yeah. and i thought i was done you mm. know like how you're like oh, i've raised them everybody's gone and everybody really went when was it like about three years ago but then now we ended up having two more yeah. like who have come into the home like in, in our own home yeah. like one is 11 the other is five so recently i was speaking to my husband and i said you know when if you add 10 years to this child we'll be really old but she will still be a child <laughs> she'll only be 14 when we are 10 years older than now and you're like well it's okay that this is who we are you know yeah. So apart from dwelling places as an organization, this is something that who we are, we've discovered. Like we ended up, it ended up not being just an organization. It ended up being part of our work. Personally, now I'm, um, I, I did run the organization. Was this coincidence for you to have a husband who is supportive in this way or you had to talk them through no the actually it was coincidence because i met my husband when i was 18 yeah and i had no idea of what i would ever become or be and my husband really uh, didn't give me the space <laughs> yeah because this question comes from uh, from as a man yeah, yeah? Of, of course i would want my own children even if I mm -hmm. really, my, my father yeah. is one of those people I know that has a very good heart. Yeah. yeah. But the most he could do is to yeah, help people from wherever they are, exactly. but not to put them in his yes, family. Yes. It speaks volumes when you really... It is strange. Really, yeah. I won't say it's strange, but like every years that went back, the, as the years went by, I've, I've always looked at my husband as a unique character. Because who actually allows anyone to just walk into their house with children, put them there and let you look after them? It's not common, but William has looked after these children. And I, was, I, I also got to that place where I was like, no, we just don't, we don't have to do that much. For example, when each of the girls were going to campus, to yeah. university, he, he kept saying, we need to make sure that the girls, you know, some of the things that make girls... We rowdy at, yeah, at campus because at they're needy simple things. things like that. Yeah. For example, he, he kept saying, the children need laptops. And I was like, that's a luxury, really. It's expensive. And, but he was saying, no. Like, listen, these kids in this generation, they give them coursework. They have to research. They have to, to print the, the work. Oh, okay. The laptop is now, really that's where it comes in. Like, everyone now, because I see that happening in dwelling places. Mm. The kids who go to university, they're like, now we have to to print the work because we don't have the finances in dwelling places that much, you know, to do certain things. Yeah. So you're like, you know, you, you have to get money and, and, and print and then put, file it. So if they don't have the money, they will either lose interest in school or they'll find the men that will give them the money. So my husband was saying, no, 
every child who goes to campus must be able to have a laptop. And I was like, what? Like, it's, that's like the big, one of the biggest things. And others, when they were going to school, he would go the extra mile to do everything that they need, mm. you know, in his, in his own way. And these are not only two children. I'm talking about 20 children, you know, and the, 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 we have two biological children. And before we had any of them, we had some of these children already as, uh, as our children living yeah. in the home. So I don't see how we, they have had any kind of difference. But the po opportunity, though, is that dwelling places continued to pay for their school fees as them, and everything else was just an extra, you know, that was coming in from, the, from us as a family. So, so really, like to answer your question, it mm -hmm. really was coincidence. Um, because before I became who I was, I was not yet married, you know? Yeah, but we started this. I started doing this work one year into my marriage. That's when we started doing this work, you know. And uh, 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 the organization has grown and outgrown us, you know. Like right now, although I'm still the, I'm still active. I'm not that active. I'm not in operations. I don't sign many things. Like the organization has, it has its own its process. Yeah, procedures. it's its own individual. No, usually also. Mm. Um, this is really good, <coughs> commendable, but mm. it also pass off as PR for yeah. dwelling places yeah. in, in a normal world. And what people usually say that when you, these charities always have, how can I term it? Um, like the end goal, some yeah. traffic of yeah. these children. Yeah. Like, um, we have cases outside, uh, Europeans, yeah. the, the wealthiest guys, mm. pumping a lot of money into charities because yes. then they use these as backdoors for, for trafficking, which again yeah. mm -hmm. gives them back a lot of money. Mm -hmm. yeah. how, how are you placed as dwelling places mm. to make sure that this is, besides the fact that you have a caring heart, yeah. Yeah, how can we trust that Okay, dwelling places is on the right journey and this is not happening? The big thing with dwelling places, and I think that makes us unique, yeah. is that we do not, we do everything in our power for every child that comes into our care to go back into the community. They like, still stay attached to their yes, um, ancients and origins and probably yes, villages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To the extent that we have gone, we went the extra mile last, uh, when COVID came in, um, we went the extra mile of we, we got to know the statistics that showed that the children, that although physically and visibly, you will see that many of the children that are living on the streets right now are from Karamoja, there are also other children who are not visible, who are on the streets, and the majority come from the Buganda Kingdom. Mm. So we went ahead and have now had a memorandum of understanding with the Buganda Kingdom, where we have, um, where our aim and focus is to use the existing structures within the kingdom, not only on the Baganda children, but the, any child that is within the kingdom, to use the structures, because the structures in Buganda are very, very useful. They are almost like the government, because they have, where you have the LC1, mm. they have Batongole. But you see, the great thing about the Buganda kingdom is that they have one authority, and that's the king. Yeah. And yet, with the other government system, it's political, mm. you know? But here, 
the king speaks once and everybody just goes in line lovingly not yeah. even yes. out I'm of dictation yeah. so, totally so you see that. what we have de- decided to do is that for every child that is outside karamoja but living within kampala and any greater buganda metropolitan any area mm. we are fixing them within the culture you know that that i mean the structure of buganda so that every child is known and attached somewhere to the extent that we are saying every child must have that opportunity because you see when you're going to get for example the nin national the nin yeah like you must be known by someone who is your father who is yeah, whatever all these details, yeah initial lc details and mm-hmm. whatnot but these so children don't know anyone exactly. but it's very important for them to be registered into the national identity so buganda is saying in that memorandum on, of understanding they are saying if they don't have anyone we shall give them the lineage you know we shall give them so if children are connected within the community they are safe so this applies to only Baganda children, but I'm also thinking any any child, oh, yeah, yeah. even in Karamoja. The something... great thing with in Karamoja yeah, because yeah. we do have an office in Karamoja, but we are just beginning to because because we are not from the Karamojong origin. True. It's unfortunate that uh, we do not have many Karamojong who are willing to do to, do, to serve. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> I've tried. I went to like to the university, tried to find people. Who could speak English because we can't speak their language? Mm. Speak the language enough to understand our vision and passion for children. They are there. Fortunately, we have a handful of them who have come and have come alongside us. And now, even the community in Karamoja has accepted us. So, but there is a difference. The street connected child in, in from Karamoja is very different from the street connected child outside Karamoja. Why? Because the street-connected child from Karamoja has an owner. There's somebody somewhere. If you keep going, like just walk one day yeah. out of just interest. You see those small children who are on the streets begging when, when they are dozing. Like Just touch one child. Like Out of just passion. You'll be surprised. I've seen it. I've been on the street. I know, oh. I know the owners personally. Uh-huh. I know the business. They will come yeah. up. So, so now, the others that are not from uh, Karamoja, most of the times they have no yeah. adults. Yeah. So, but from Karamoja, we feel that it's going to even be easier. Once we, and our focus from Karamoja is education. Mm. If we can be able to support those children to be in school. I know COVID has come and schools have closed, but you know, Karamoja has a system where they, they this ABEC system where even though the schools are closed, there are many people who are going. They already had their system, the ABEC system, where How, they go. What's the ABEC system? Uh, Do you have an idea? The acronym. I've forgotten the acronym, but what? Yeah. But the whole process of it is that many of the children were in the crowds and they were looking after cattle. Yeah. So the government developed a program where teachers go into the crowds and teach the children from there. And children actually, even they, they learn. Mm. They go to the crowd. They take the the, the cows. But and while the cow, cow, cows are grazing, they sit in a group and start learning. So already that's community uh, education. So right now with the closing of schools, it's a, it's a model that has continued. Yeah. You know, that the schools are closed, yes, but we already have teachers who are used to going into the community. So they go into the manyatas and they sit with the children and teach them. You know, it may not be as... Uh, 
And, and anyway, COVID is not so big up. It's yeah, not so up country, spread up, right. up there. Yeah. So although the whole country is locked in, in reopening of schools, but the services are possible if we as, a, uh, as a supporters can continue to see that happening. So, <clears throat> so what, what I'm trying to say is that every child once linked to an adult in dwelling places it's very important for us to make sure that that, ch that adult is, I mean, that child is there. That adult is responsible for that child. And so trafficking for us, for the children who have been resettled, has not been, it has not come in. But trafficking in terms of uh, children actually leaving the, the, their areas to come into places, like, like last week, two weeks ago, we rescued, um, I think, 43 children from Kenya. Yeah. And they were all Karmajong, but they were trafficked there. And so you'll find that trafficking, in a real sense for us, it's changing how we do things. Because we have understood that the children who are on the streets are not just there because they run away, mm. but some of them have been trafficked. You know, in like I've just told you how those, the adults bring in the Karmajong children and make them sit there to beg. That is trafficking, you know. Yeah. So that's a something that we uh, we 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 are engaged in as dwelling places by um, being part of the existing networks like Yucatip, um, which, which is the, the trafficking in persons uh, collaboration, and we we give our voice. We we add we add we give these uh, collaborations information that can help them to to find solutions or even to feed into the global information that global data mm. that actually eventually causes this trafficking to be false yeah now um i also was reading in your background you you also mentioned that you have the christian background yeah and you're a practicing christian yeah um do you impact your faith on all the children or you let them have their will that's a very good question as well. You know, and this is how I usually answer them. Yeah. I do not force children to become believers. But I do give them the opportunity, opportunity to, to get to know yeah. about the faith. Yeah. And, <clears throat> once, and, and that is still like, my, my hope is that once the children come into the home and go out, mm. my role, you know, when Jesus was going in heaven, he said, you go out into the world and preach make disciples so while they are with us it's not indoctrination but it is a practice mm. that we teach them how to pray we let them know that there is a god and we let them know like they can have the opportunity to accept him if they want to yeah. <clears throat> but what we don't do and that is usually um a conflict with uh, some other place i don't have an answer to that yeah. question <clears throat> somebody asked me that, but if a child comes and is a Muslim, how do you know they are Muslim? Or they are of another faith, how do you know? Usually, some of them who, who come in and they are called Abdu or Shafiq or somebody... It's because of that street. Yeah. You know, they've come in with that name, but that doesn't mean that they are Muslims or whatever, you know? So I don't have an answer to that question because I will not say... Now that you're Shafiq, let me look for a, a, um, an, a, a, an imam to come here. And, you know, we are, a, we are not apologetic to be a Christian organization. Mm -hmm. 
we have we I, we the calling of dwelling places is basically based on Christianity, mm. and we are not apologetic about that. And the whole ethos of Christianity is is discipleship. Yeah. So yeah. Now I also remember the advantage I got from the street is to be extremely street smart, and I also. All the time I spent on the street, I observed a lot of rich people. I met mm. very extreme connections because I could see people packing food to go into restaurants, packing yeah. their big cars to go into restaurants, eat food. Then I, I observe how they're living their lives, probably greet them, see the humbleness, pick up on a few traits of who a rich person is. Mm. And ideally, because the whole aim of life is to, to be stable, yeah. Yeah? make money. Money is the most important thing right now. Mm. Um, so what the street taught me as an individual mm. was to learn behavior of who is rich. Because on the street, you see everyone. Yeah. You see who is parking a BMW, you see who is parking yeah. a Lexus, and you see who is just a wannabe and, mm. and you tell the difference. Yeah. So this is because now I'm not in school, I'm on the street. Yeah. I'm not spending so much time on learning blackboard work, yeah. but then I'm learning real life work from the street. Yeah. Do you ever feel like it's important that people switch away from the education curriculum mm -hmm. to because I also know other street children mm. who, who are now driving Range Rovers. Yeah. yeah? Mm. My friend Paddy Mutumba, very good guy. Mm. Um switches a Range Rover every day. He's into he whatever he does, but I know for a fact that he dropped out of school and he went on the street and he's, he's, he's learned street business. Mm. He's learned how to be street smart. He's met people off there and he's gotten to those places. Yeah. I'm also part of those people in that journey because mm. I also left school. But then I'm a YouTube student. I, mm. I keep learning every other day. Mm. But I feel like street art is more important than blackboard art. Mm. Because once street art really shows you the actual things mm. you know that you know what you have to be humble to get into a meeting and character really takes yeah. you places your your qualifications might never take you because you see a man that is moving out of range rover being as humble of you really observe all these other uniqueness all these other characters uh you probably do not know that discipline or what they're doing or they're probably um done everything but the character alone is what you could pick up to yeah. build mm. do you ever feel like maybe School is not what they want, mm -hmm. yeah. Because some have actually some people on, on the streets because they failed school. They, yeah, you see, that's the word. Yeah, some people, and the other word really that you have talked about is dropout. Yeah, some have not had a chance to even drop out. Okay, I see that. Yeah. So, in dwelling places, when we talk about education, we have a thing mm. that we call a slogan called yeah. "a chance for all." It's a chance. We offer you the chance to go to school. But should you get to school and you opt out, the opportunity is still there. But, but I still then, be contained at dwelling places. Yeah, but then you will have to. We have a thing um, in dwelling places. We have a thing where almost, I don't know whether it's annual, but it wasn't my, my bringing. It was an innovation by some of our staff. Yeah. They brought up an innovation of uh, interviewing the children for every next stage, especially primary. It's not for every class, but for primary seven. Like if you get to primary seven, some of some of the things that these children get is a bittersweet, like where you're know, like saying, you've got. It's like, as a child, you don't you you don't usually have 
all the choices to you because you need to be guided, mm. you know. Now, in the guiding, you will find that you, 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 that conversation keeps coming where the social worker will tell you, you'll say, ah, but Auntie Anne says, Sagala Kusoma, or whatever. Yeah. But by the time the child says, Sagala Kusoma, eh, nga she's six. Yeah, that's you see what I mean? Now, let's have that conversation again. So that's the interview I'm talking to yeah, you. Yeah. So they'll come with that certificate and tell them, I have a daughter who is 12. This, this is my foster child. This girl loves animals. It's unbelievable. Not just animals, but every creature that's not human. Yeah. Okay, she loves human beings as well, but uh, the things that are crawling, Lizards, flying, butterflies. Like, she will pick a lizard and name it. That one, that's on the wood. She will call you, like I have birds, I have chickens in my house. Mm. She, and small birds come, you know when they go into the, they, and they also want to eat the, mm. some of the, uh, the chicken food, mm. yeah? But this girl will go in, and for, you're seated in your, in your, doing your own things. She will come to your room, mommy, I found this bird. It was, like how do you hold oh, a small yeah. bird? Then these chicks, when the chicks, you know how chicks, usually rare chicks, but not all of them make yeah. it. She will sit with this chick in a basket and cover it just to see. Now, while all children watch cartoons, my daughter watches Nat Geo Wild. She calls it Nat Geo Wild. Mm, mm, mm. She will watch and watch and watch. Now, one day, there was a, 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 we, we were just driving and she saw a goat. And she said, Mommy, that goat has, she said, some kind of disease. I was like, I think she made up that word. And I was like, Nudge, of course you don't know that thing. She said, I'm telling you. You see how I know? The, the, the hair, she's only 11. The hair is standing up. The thing is doing what? The word. She explained it. That's a skill. Yeah. yeah. And then I called from the village because one of, the, one of my goats had lost uh, uh, um, you know, the, the goats give, give birth. It had given birth to two kids. But one kid died, and the goat refused to suckle the other one. Mm. So she, I was talking on the phone, being busy, like the person was talking to her, yeah, so this is what has happened, we don't know. I said, mom, mom, this is what you should do. 11. She's now 11, but this probably was 10 then. He said, this is what you should do. Make that other mother goat face in another direction. Find another goat. Find another goat that is feeding. Make it face in another direction and let this kid circle. Circle this other one. The kid will grow. Of course, I was like saying, ah, yeah. but I said, I started jokingly saying to the other person, well, my daughter has said that do this and this. The other person said, hey, maybe we should try it. Believe me, the goat grew. So, what am I trying to say? Every time now we see this girl, I, she's 11, but she struggles to read. Yeah. Like her reading is uh, um, like you can't believe how she reads like a six-year-old. Like she, then she struggles to like, like that. But eventually, last year, I discovered that she's dyslexic. I had mm. to discover it. We took, it. we took her to a school right now, making the whole long story short. Mm. We took her to a school right now that 
actually uh, has special needs uh, children. But I kept thinking that ah, if it's special needs, it will be too special, like, you know, maybe what. But in that school, they have animals and what. And she tells me that, listen, mommy, for us, when we are studying at school, you see this thing of evaporation. Mm. They take us to the pond. And we see, like, that's how she explains it to me. They take us to the pond. And we see, you know how the, the sun, it comes down. And then the, the mist comes up like this. That's how you make rain. <laughs> you see what I'm talking about? Now, I'm going to this particular place of, like, saying that yeah. we actually, hopefully, there is that space for every child to be given a chance. Yeah. The space is there, but maybe not all of them can be able to express themselves in that way. We may not catch it for everyone. Yeah, and, and by <clears> the way, <throat> I am not saying that um, the street art is the option everyone yeah. should take because the education system produces a big number of results. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's been proven, it's been certified, mm. and a lot of it has more success stories than... But now for people like that child, yeah, yeah. the uniqueness of that does not deserve to be in class. Yeah, true. It deserves to really be in that direction. Streetwise, yeah? yeah. in the community. Exactly, because that's a special case yes. in, in this case. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So we, my, my, I just wanted to say that one of the challenges I think that I have yeah. maybe, and maybe I, as a founder, as mm. a visionary, and it may be the same maybe in all charities, it's hard to find once when you're starting you're starting out of passion right and when it grows into something as big as yeah, dwelling places is right mm. now the people who come may not necessarily be as passionate as yourself they mm. may be staff now to keep the passion and the vision going so that it's the same way as you, the founder, felt it, wants it, it's a challenge. It can be a challenge. I watch, I watch and see, and sometimes when you bring it up and you're saying, I don't think, so then maybe the staff will feel we are not being appreciated, we work hard, and we work. But then you, you're speaking from, your, from, a, from that part. You've got to be tolerant. You know, people who will come in, they'll come in, You've advertised for a job. Mm. So they've come in to do a job. Sure. You see? They've not come in to be babysitters. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> like, to be, like, emotionally attached like yourself. Yeah. So for me, really, I want to let you know that that is one of the reasons why um, in, in tolerance, I, I, re I, I don't, like, for the last, uh, for seven years, I stepped away from the organization, mm. let it run as it is, came back when I felt like there were some few things that probably would, would, were, were changing a bit. And then now, now that I'm back still, I step back. COVID has kept me away. So I work from home. I watch from the Kamoli yeah. to see how things are going. But that's a bit of a... It's something I've got to learn to live with, that people come and go. So what is your vision as an individual for, 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 for dwelling places? Hope you've already achieved it. You, you're where you are. Well, I will say, I, I can count. I can count several numbers of children who who have actually achieved where the vision wants. Because the vision for dwelling places mm. and 
is, is a society where every child is able to reach their full, full potential in a safe, loving environment mm. within the community. So I can count many in my hands, on, on my hands who, for children who have done that, who have gotten there. We've seen that happen for everyone. But now my passion, I mean my, my hope, is that dwelling places will always be able to afford to make that happen for every child who comes through the organization. And so my eyes have shifted from from or from seeing whether that can actually happen, that whether the vision can actually happen. It can, because yeah, I, I have so many stories. success stories. It's now shifted to how can I make sure that the organization will always be able to afford this for every child. So as the vision bearer standing on the side, I am looking to see, I think that in a nutshell, that word is called sustainability. Yeah. How do you make sure that dwelling places will always be available, will always be that space for any child that is street connected to run to and achieve the vision. How is uh, the government atmosphere like for, for this kind of business, for this kind of... Well... usually what happens, I also read in stories, what happens when, when, when things like this have success stories, government mm. takes over? Yeah. This is the only problem with our government, one of our problems. It just takes over and, and it frustrates things. Usually the government just frustrates anything that's, that's getting better. Mm. In uh, the episode I just released today of Kabuleta, uh, he was mentioning something like this in one of his explanations and it made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, It is just about frustrating so that, and I have seen this, I have worked with uh, a few Chinese previously into their companies mm. and if there is no really someone in government eating from it, it will be phased away somehow. However brilliant the idea is that, because this is really brilliant. It's, yeah. it's not about just, it's, it's different from the people trafficking, from the people just using, exploiting these children. This is, this is coming from someone mm -hmm. who has the love for it, yes. who is putting these children in a personal home, who mm. is doing this with their husband and, and all that. So how is the atmosphere like? What do you think about it? <laughs> That's a very interesting, because we've had scenarios like that. You know, when you're talking about government, you've got to be very careful. Yeah, that's, that's true. But the because, advantage of podcasting mm. is, um, this is also bcop.co.uk. Yeah. The government doesn't really have any control on censoring yeah. it and any of that stuff. So, especially now that they've just closed about 54 NGOs, as you know. Yeah, exactly. exactly <laughs> you have to be, you exactly. don't know why so, they oh, closed yes, them and, yes, and yes, everything. Yes, yes, yes. But I will speak from my own, uh, I have an, I have a, an experience mm. In the journey of growing as dwelling places, I did have a big crucifixion, really, from, and I was completely misunderstood, I remember, especially because of my relationship with the Karmajong community. And it was, I think, what in Luganda we call Kulemerako, yeah. like focusing on the vision. Because I kept looking and saying, somebody came up and just decided that they are going to make sure they create a story which shows that I am trafficking, I am, exactly. I, yeah. I, I am exploiting, I am, but they failed to justify Proof, yeah. that. And, but on my side, I kept saying, why are, they, are these people doing this? Is it money? Because those days, 
the organization had zero money. We didn't even know where the grantors were. Yeah. We didn't even know how to write proposals. Mm. We were just individuals who were doing our best, you know? And we had these children who were, who, the ones we had resettled, so many children, but we had a handful of, I think, about 20 Karmajong children who we had failed to resettle. Why? Because it was unsafe in their community. Yeah. So we could not do resettlement there. So these children stayed in the organization. And, but then the numbers of children who were growing, the, be, began to grow, and the Karmajong children be, community began to grow. So about 2006, it began to grow. So I, in my heart, I was saying, no, no, we need to find out. How can we able, be able to reset, give this opportunity, the same opportunity we are giving to the other children, to give it to the Karmajong community. So someone picked it up and said, now this one, is, I think either they are coming in our space and they, oh my God. I remember one day I was seated in a, in, a, in a big setting with people from the UN, UNICEF and whatever. And the, the topic was the children, the Karmajong children. And someone stood up and literally uh, said that we would have been doing our best, but there are some organizations who are there, who are here, who are just supporting these children for their own benefit. And this person said, the example is written camp and dwelling places. I was shocked. But from that same talk yep. at lunchtime, the media was eating me. What do you have to say? And they were asking me, all the, I was already shocked. They were asking me all these different types of questions. They followed me with the cameras, taking me to the homes. To I feel like a superstar in that moment. I became a superstar <laughs> to the extent that the people, people from the parliament, there was, do you know these committees, the yeah. parliament yeah, yeah. They came to dwelling places. The police came to, for me. They did what? It took almost a full year. And for the, for, for the longest time, I was just trying to defend myself. Until one day I said, everything that I'm saying is true. I've tried to defend myself. I've tried to bring all these different things. Mm. No one is listening to me. Until I said, no, let me go, let go. Because I've tried to explain myself, to show all these different things. Until I got at, uh, and so somebody told me, there's this lawyer who backs and speaks to the government. I said, for sure, for me, it's not even about getting the government off my back or whatever. It's about, I'm telling the truth. truth. But somebody has just there. refused. I remember one minister by then yeah. who was in the, in the it was, is it minister in, in gender? Mm. Those days, I won't say his name. Mm, but okay. he called me and, and, said, and said, Rita, I know what you're doing and I've been to your place, but I have no relationships with you. If everything that, that is happening is coming straight from cabinet. I was like, Rita Kemba? Somebody, some minister even showed me my name, said, do you know this name? She told, that minister told me, what? So you're Rita Kemba. Let me tell you something. For me, when I saw, I saw your name and the things that have been, I don't know whether it was blackmail or I don't know. I said, when, and the things that have been saying about you. So he called the chair, the secretary. Secretary, you give me the cabinet minutes. So they, they brought the minutes and said, you see this name? You know the chairman of the cabinet. This is your name. Your name is in, is in cabinet. But now looking at you, I'm saying, I was expecting that the person like you would be like La Quena. <laughs> I, I, was, I was like, me? Like I'm an ordinary person. This is why you no... have big conversations with <laughs> ordinary people. <laughs> I, I have no donor. I, I sing 
to get the money to look after these children. Sure. I have been through the snow in places where no one knows me. Mm. And when I've gone there, I've only come home with what? 300 pounds. To, I literally just live in a house, small house in Mutuundwe with two bedrooms where I'm looking after almost 20 children. Yeah. I just sit, there's, I, I have, there's nothing behind this name. But it was in the cabinet minutes. I came from that meeting, my brother, and I sat by a roadside pavement because this man told me the only solution you have is to run from this country. He even blackmailed me and was telling me, if you do not run anyway, you know for me I'm a lawyer. On the other things that I usually do, is, is, uh, I do what? I, I could, if we could talk and what. True. I was like, what does he even want from me? You know? But once I came from there, I said, look, the only way that I can defend myself is go legal. So somebody told me of this lawyer who bucks and makes a lot of, uh, makes the big people shiver. Mm. I was like, look, it's not even just about getting a lawyer to make them shiver. I'm telling the That's truth. To get so this guy came up. I survived this. We, we, they gave me a press statement. That, I think that was my first press, what? Where they get the press and they come. Yeah, press they, statement. Press uh -huh. Exactly. He, he said, if anyone has, this is our client, if anyone has anything to say, this is defamation, under defamation, it went through the news, they, they published it in, in New Vision, and they published it in, I mean, the, I think, even I remember those days it was NTV, yeah. They tried to tell a story and said, now because this thing is legal, we cannot mention the name of the organization. And, and the story stopped from there. Nobody came back to explain to me why I was in the news, why they were telling me. But this is what I'm telling you. Yeah. I'm responding to yeah. what you're yeah, saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. What happened instead is I buried my head in the sand like this. And I decided I am not, I'm just going to continue doing what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with what I'm and doing. And it comes from your heart. I'm going to continue doing it within my best means. If nobody from government supports me. In fact, I remember one time somebody from Ministry of Gender said, dwelling places, you are on a blacklist. I was like, I have been this person. In fact, it came from a person who used to sit with the first, who sat with a, one day with the first lady to, to about talking about her work. Yeah. To the next day, an organization that has been blacklisted. So what do you do when somebody from government tells you that you're blacklisted? blacklisted. You can basically close shop. These but are the for same me, things. Yes, yes, yes. what I have done, what I did instead, I have a husband who has supported me all his life. Not even in church. Yeah. Have I had people who have come up and told me that, look, let's stand with you or sit with you, not in this country. But my husband said, listen to your heart. We have children in this house who are part of dwelling places. Do you want us to? You have children in the home. Wake up every day, go at your desk and do what you do as you do it every day. It's not been easy, mm. <clears throat> but 2015, once my daughter, my biological daughter was 14 and my son, you know, they became into the teenage years, I decided, look, it's time to step away. The organization had become what it was under that, you know, without the support of, of the organization, I mean, the government, because yeah. I'd been blacklisted. 
but we, we just had gone on doing our work and we got somebody a very very good man called Damon Wamara mm. uh, he he came into my life he first served on the board because nobody knew him nobody I mean he affiliated himself to the organization and during that time for me I stepped away for almost seven years to raise my children I had never had that opportunity yeah. so I was there with my biological daughter and I made a decision that let me stay there with them take them through to at least let them go to university mm. because as I said I had all this ministry before I even had any of my children so that was my yardstick 45 years old I stepped away I stayed with them until my son was in uni and and when he was in uni I came back and Damon was ready to go to his next level so and that was the COVID time just recently I came back as acting country director but I refused to get totally involved mm -hmm. in the whole operations and, and stuff. Yeah, you just check the books. And yes, and of course, sure. the last second lockdown or the 42 days, with my two children who I am staying with at home, I decided, look, let me stay at home with them and just do, schools are closed, why not teach them? Let me just do homeschooling, a proper homeschool. But believe me, now I kind of like feel like nobody can take me away from my home. I, I'm enjoying being at home. I'm grateful for great for where dwelling places is. Yeah. Like you know, it's moving on with more donors now. With the Therese Dizomti DH Netherlands, we have Global Fund, uh, uh, End of uh, Modern Slavery. We have other people, and the profile of the organization has it's grown. But it has come from the doldrums, really. Of like, we've continued to always do what we said we were doing, even if at some time the government had basically placed a blanket over us, mm. but we still continue to do what we are doing. And right now, like I guess the last lockdown, Kampala City Council has been working with us side by side. So if you continue being who you say you are, it's a matter of time because then you're not, you're not making it up. You're not in, 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 in today's world, you're not faking it yeah. because anyone who comes and asks, you have nothing to hide. You have, it's just transparent and everyone will see what's going on. It's not easy yeah. and it's not without mistakes. But it's worth it. But, you know, yeah. So what, um, besides, this, is, this has been really, really, really interesting for me. Yeah. What now defines who are you um, when you're schooling, how do you go to school, what schools do you go to, things like this. What defines my, yeah. oh, my schooling? And what inspires you? Like, Let's just look into now your background as All a person. All right. All right. Yeah. Well, I, I went to school at, uh, in, in primary, of course, I was in Gaza Junior School, and then I went to King's College Budo. In, um, for all six years? Yes, for all six years. I was, I was very lucky because I was a, a very, very bright girl. Never How did you get into Budo? Are you saying? I got 10 points. <laughs> For us, there. those days when you were in Gayaza, this was 1985. Yeah. I started for my primary, I think, 1984. Those days, if you were in Gayaza Junior School, and it was always that you needed to, the clever ones always went to Gayaza High. Now, those of you who were not so clever, and you got 10 and below, your parents had to bench to go to Buddo. Now, in Buddo, as girls. But then Buddha had really strict. No, you're joking. This is in your generation. But in, in our generation, 
The boys who were there used to get fours. Yeah? So you were a tenor. You know? Yeah. An average, the girls. And moreover, in my class, in my, in my S1, in my class, we were, I think there were about 30 boys and 10 girls. But all of us, well, I would say most of us, were 10, 12, what, those things. These boys were sharp. Yeah. Because it's kings, yeah? Oh, wow. The boys were sharp. But for me, what I did, I learned, I mastered something. <clears throat> I, am, I am not a shy person. Mm. And I, I, I am a limelighter. <laughs> yeah. I, I do not apologize for, for that. So what I've always done is to keep myself in the limelight. So, whenever there would be clever boys, I remember there's uh, Stephen Kauma, uh, the, the Stephen Kauma and, the, and the also uh, Mayanja. Hmm. I would find myself sitting in the middle of, of those. If, if that, and the teachers used to always tease us, that the boys used to tease the girls in the school, but for me, I refused to be one of those that they tease, even if I was an average academical, yeah. you know? Even if I was an average, I, I just refused to be teased. There was this thing in Buddha that they called benders, mm. yeah? Like if, you have, if, if you're a girl, you're not supposed to eat a lot of food. But for me, when I was hungry, I would always do that opposite of what, and I was not very, I was not, I was not a dunk. You know, they call them dunk. They, they, you, either you'd be a chick or a dunk. Mm. Like you would be pretty or Yeah. I wasn't a dunk. No. Definitely. No. Like, so I kind of like was saying, there's nothing about me that Stopping anyone will intimidate, intimidate yeah. me. No one will intimidate me. So I always went to do what I wanted in, in Budo. Yeah. Although I wasn't very clever. But, but you managed to stay there six years. This that, is what I'm telling you. Cream. It's because of being in the limelight. Yeah. I found out something that I'm good at, that the boys don't have. I was a good singer. I, I thought you were eating a lot of food. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was a good singer. And that kept me in the limelight. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So, singing, playing the drums, doing whatever. When it was traditional music, I would go there. Mm. Went as well. and then art like acting. Yeah, I was in the I was in the act in the yeah, drama society. Yeah, that was really prioritized that Buddha yeah. as well. and like, I would always get the top parts. Yeah, I would always. There are those other things that made me stand, stand out, and because of those and behavior, my yeah, character. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. got saved when I was in S two, and I and I transformed from this girl who was wild to a girl who was obedient. Not for any reason. S2 I just, is one of the hardest oh, classes. Oh, yeah. I was that wild. That is very commendable. Believe me. Because yeah, S2. S2 is when... Uh, uh, yes. Is when I, I think I was talking back to my father. I know <laughs> you're not telling me this. Yeah. S2 second term exactly. in August. I got saved. And do you want to know the story of how I got saved? Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it was August 1996. My friend Olivia and I went to... In Budo, there was a... There was a tennis court mm. that had in at the girls' end, yeah. but with overgrown grass. Now, every last week of the before the term ends, we there's no there's no class, mm. so you do all sorts of things. Some boys used to break out and go and drink and do whatever. Now, for me, Olivia and I decided that. But how does it feel to be drunk? 
So we decided to buy, to send someone to get us a, five liters of uh, booze. Five liters? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Olivia and I sat in that place there and we were determined to finish that five liter of booze. Wow. I don't, I don't remember if we finished it or not. But we were determined but you drank to yes, the booze. we did. We were determined to find out what it feels like to be drunk. In fact, you finished it because you don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that is actually that makes sense. Yes. But so when when I went back to get my school report because they were giving us reports, mm. ah, I found out that I think I had been the last in the class, something like that, yeah. and I was told to bring my parents. And that uh, was a real nightmare for all of us. Really. I thought about it and I was like, I'm going back home. I've just been drinking. And I've been asked to bring my mom. My mom never beats. She, she was, my parents were, have always been loving yeah. to us. And yeah. not, spoiled, not spoiling us, but no. loving. I totally relate to the that. The kind of love that makes you feel like you don't want to do something that hurts them. Yeah. So I was seated in front of the uh, of the common room at, i was in grace house mm. and this girl called rosette came from the chapel and she could swear she kept saying that you know fire is coming from heaven now like you have said i don't know whether it was because i was drunk or whatever but this girl came and she came from chapel saying revival is, I don't even know the words that she was using, but they frightened me. Revival is coming. Fire is coming. It's going to burn the sinners. Now, remember, I've just been drinking to get drunk. I've got a school report that was... And I think that time that I had been caught with my boyfriend in a dark corner. Yeah? Yeah? I was, like, I was the worst sinner that somebody could imagine, yeah. you know? I had been kind of like, I felt like I was the worst. So here comes this girl telling me that fire is coming from heaven to burn the sinners. I was frightened. And I, the one word I remember telling her, I told her, Rosette, tell me now what I need to do to stop the fire from burning me. It doesn't make sense, right? Mm. And this girl told me, you kneel down now, now. Kneel down now and tell God you're sorry. And then tell him that you're, you're going to get saved. I cried my eyes out. I knelt down there and I repeated the words that she told me. Now for me, when I stood up from that space, and stood up like, I felt like all my sins had been washed out. I was waiting for anyone to tell me, any, maybe that was a miracle, I don't know. But I came back from home, from school, to go to, into, the, into home. Normally, you would hide your school report. But for me, I went and gave my report to my mom. I repented, told her, Mommy, I'm sorry, I've been a bad girl. I've been, done this, I've done this. I've, I've been such a bad girl. <clears throat> and then that... It was so funny because when we went home, all my, my, my brothers and whatever, from their different schools, had got saved. And then Watoto Church was, we, KPC was KPC, just starting. starting true. So we used to live in Kololo. 
So we joined Watoto. We joined what's now Watoto FKPC. And because, you know, we were talented children. Mm. And you're so singer, and really this was fun. We kind of like just got involved. Yeah. And then we, we, we stayed. So everything that the Bible used to say, we believed personally. I just believed in what the Bible says. That, like if God said it, it is. that does it. So that has been the that was the journey of my life in Buddha. I'm not saying that I did not go, there, but whatever it is that I went, what was wayward, my wayward ways as a as a growing Christian. Yeah, I knew that that was like I the fact that I knew that they were wayward is is that thing as a Christian that you receive that you're saying mm, mm. that's not good. What you're doing is not good. That basically has been my running principle. But that is one of the reasons why. Somehow, I stayed in Buddha. I did not pass as a first grader. I passed as a second grade in O-level. <clears throat> but my character helped me to stay in the school. Somehow, everybody used to think I'm very clever because I stayed in the school. Mm. When I did my S6, I didn't even do very well. I passed, I got an AOO. But because of the 1.5 that they give the girls, yeah. I went to... to, 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 to MOOC? No, to... Macquarie University. Yeah, Mac. I was given I was given social sciences, a, a course that I don't even know. Because for me, I asked for education. But uh, they took me there and they told me it's a flat subject. But when I got to to the uni, by then, as I told you, I met my husband when I was eighteen mm. in S, in S six. He was a very a, a very very vigilant bencher. <laughs> I think I spent more time with him. Uh, on, on, my, my husband used to be a, a soccer star like yeah. when, he was, when, we were young, when he was younger. But I think I spent more time with him on his bike than, than at campus because I, really didn't, I don't even remember what I studied, really. But when I... Yeah, I don't remember. I was, just went through campus. The, the moment I finished like this and graduated, yeah. like I graduated in January, I got married in July. And my life started, you know. And then in July of the following year, I started dwelling places. Mm. So, like, I've not had a break, <laughs> you know. Of, of, like, I've always had this thing on, this thing on, this thing on, this thing on. So, somehow, for me, um, what people have always had as, a, uh, you know, life going out having fun before you get married doing what like i've always been in that protective zone someone has always been in charge of me sort of someone has always been in charge right now of course my husband is in charge of me he's uh, he's responsible for me as uh, and whatever so. that's a very tough statement when you say your husband is in charge of anyway, you yeah. it brings the whole concept of Women and empowerment and feminism. Well, I don't that, care yeah. what the women say. Like, for me, when I got married... All right. <laughs> I got married to a husband who I expected to be responsible for me. Yeah. And he's done a good job. So I, do, I don't... Uh, I'm sorry for the women who are in, in empowerment. I will not speak on top of what they feel yeah. or whatever because I will not be able to challenge them yeah. or whatever. But I'm okay. I'm contented oh, yeah. with my husband being in charge of me, you know, because it's not a big deal. 
He lets you look at the things I've just told you. Exactly. When I started doing this I'll work, run a short clip of just that part and yeah. I'll <coughs> make sure people go back to listen to <laughs> the whole story. <laughs> you know, how I started dwelling places had nothing to do with whether I'm a feminist mm, yeah. or what, but I've been supported all through. all through. All through. Right now, up to this day, my husband supports the work that the I do. The one thing that I have noticed in this whole podcast is you being that up almost every after 10 minutes. Yes. Yeah. He supports me. Like, he just supports me. Right now, I have these two children in my home. They are not his children. Yeah. But if you see how they relate with him. It's incredible. Yeah. And he's not the one who saw them. He's not the one who brought them into the home. He, it, we just, it was me. True. But when the time comes for them to be in the home, it's now his turn to be the father. No, and he will be a good father to all these children. I mean, so he's responsible. Do you know that from the time I've told you that uh, this is all I've done all my life, mm. really. I had a small break and went into um, uh, Pride, 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 uh, Pride, when Pride was starting as Pride Micro, Pride Microfinance mm. was starting, out, first started out as Pride, um, Pride Africa. I went there as a, <laughs> trying to look for money, you know, like saying that, because this thing, I just started it, you know. So I was saying, ah, let me get a job. My mom was saying, ah, ah, we, we, we educated you to get a job. We did not educate you to go and live with street, do street children work. So I kind of like was saying, okay, let me find a job. I found a, a job I, uh, with Pride Africa. But the one thing I will never forget in Pride, yeah. I mean, I loved being with the people and everything. But my supervisor told me one day that he doesn't believe I went to school. Because I could not do the numbers, I could not balance ledgers, and I was in the wrong place. So I left the place. I went into, did a postgraduate diploma in something now that I understood, mm, uh, mm. public administration and management, which is a compliment to what I do. But what I wanted to tell you is that, do you know that from the time that I went into my home to date, I have never had to be the one that pays the bills at home? I have never, it has never been upon me to look for, to be the one that even contributes. That I mean, if me someone of... tells you right now, yeah. if I say that my husband is responsible for me, it's coming from the bottom oh, of my God. heart. And I, I, I really appreciate that and understand that. I was reading <clears> a story <throat> yesterday of uh, this very good woman, I think. So she has been together with her husband for all this long. But yeah. she, she's like you, she has been doing her business with her husband. But the husband then passed on. Okay. So she called the daughter to ask the daughter, but how do you load your car? Exactly. How do you pay <laughs> national water? I didn't know any of these things. I can relate. But she's very bossy. <laughs> she has a boss life. She, yeah. She's CEO, I think, of some yeah. other organization. And yeah. I so. can relate, but I don't want to be like that. That's something <laughs> that's very important. Do you know? Like, but I have had, once I left the... Uh, daily operations of dwelling places and stayed home for yeah. those seven years and actually been, there were things that were very different at home that I didn't know how to do, didn't know what to do. Like, I will tell you, like, it's not been long for me even. Like, I think it's only two years ago that I learned how to load yaka. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not very, I can yeah. relate. Yeah. yeah. Like, things like school fees for the children, before you think about it, it's paid. Yeah. And it's not just for my own children, but for even the other children. Sometimes I feel sorry and I'm like, no, no, we, don't, we shouldn't let him 
do too much. But before, you know, last week, one of my girls told me, he, he didn't even tell me about, like, he never tells me about this thing. Mm. My husband has this principle that, you know, you should not let your hand, I don't know whether I, I believe in that principle, but, <laughs> but he says you do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. That's what he says. But one of my daughters recently told me that, called me and said, Mom, Mom, you know what? Daddy has just passed by and, and he bought me a phone. This is, has, is not so much to do with whether he has money or yeah. whatever, because he doesn't have to. Yeah? I have, I, I he doesn't have to. And these are my foster children. Yeah. They left the home. They don't live with me an, anymore. I'm not responsible for them. But I think probably because my daughter relates with my husband, he, she told him what she didn't even tell me that they related and said, look, I have, a, I have a problem with my phone. It's not working as mm. a, 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 a thing. But he bought him a phone. And so it's my daughter then who sends me a message, say, oh, mommy, please, I wanted to let you know daddy passed by here and brought me a new phone. Wow. My husband didn't tell me about it, you know? So it's, it's, it's those things that make him very unique. Very, very unique. Totally, totally agree with you. Uh, now, as we conclude, yeah. what is your legacy like? If, if life were to end now, what would the legacy you want to leave behind be like? Two things. One really is with regard to dwelling places. Yeah. One, the one thing is that I wish and I pray that dwelling places would always be present mm. to support children, street-connected children, to find a safe place to call home. As long as there will always be children living on the streets, yeah. whether it be in Uganda or all over the world, I want that those children will know that in this world there is a place where they can go and they will be supported to find a safe place to call home and a loving, where that place can, uh, can put them in a loving community. The second legacy that's within my own household, that is within my control. Yeah. I would like that the next generation of children who are beyond the children that I've raised mm. will never ever have to relate to what their, what their parents have gone through. I wish that those children would have my name if they never have any grand name or lineage to hook up to, that they will know that the Nkemba name yeah. and the Nkemba household will always, it's okay for them to start their lineage from us. Because if their grandpa grandparents are not known because of any reason, but the fact that they have had an opportunity to live in our home mm. and be raised in our home, although they may, may maybe never have gotten the legal documents to be adopted and whatever, yeah. but they will, that those, their children will always find the Nkemba household 
a safe lineage for their generations. Interesting. This has been very good for me. This is easily one of the best conversations I have personally had. I'll tell you this. Thank you for thank coming, really. Thank you for letting yeah. me speak. And True. thank you so much for your time. All right.